Peace be with you. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn Heights. And as Katie said, this month we're preaching a sermon series on one important characteristic of our life together as a church, and that is a manifest and abiding pursuit of justice and mercy. Today we'll be discussing foster care and adoption, caring for orphans. Now, even if you never foster or adopt a child, this topic has everything to do with you as a member of the body of Christ. We are all together called to bring up the children within our church in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Every time we dedicate a child here at Sojourn Heights, the congregation makes a vow. We ask, do you as a congregation undertake the responsibility of assisting the parents in the Christian nurture of their child? And the congregation replies, we do and we ask God to help us. So we're all to some degree responsible for the children that join our church family, no matter how they get here. But there are also plenty of ways to get involved with foster care and adoption, aside from actually fostering or adopting. In fact, those of us who do foster and adopt both want and need your help. So this week is for all of us. In addition, we need to acknowledge that there are numerous ways to care for orphans, and and all of them good. However, I'll be spending my time focusing on how we can care for orphans and vulnerable children here in the city of Houston. Adopting internationally, adopting an embryo, adopting a relative, those are all good and beautiful things. But my goal today is to help mobilize our church for the orphan care crisis right here in our backyard, loving and serving Houston by loving and serving Houston's children. In the opening scene of The Lion King, All of creation is coming to pay homage to the newborn prince, Simba. And shortly after that, Simba's father, Mufasa, is walking with him in the cool of the day, talking to him about the kingdom and what it means to be a king. And he says, look, Simba, everything the light touches is our kingdom. Simba says, wow. What about that shadowy place? Well, you must never go there, Simba. And yet what happens? After a, a quick conversation with his devious uncle, Simba is tempted into visiting the shadowy place. He is tempted into doing the one thing in all the kingdom prohibited by his father. And in the end, his father pays the price for this disobedience with his own life. Now, according to the Bible, you may say this is a stretch, According to the Bible, we are sons of Simba. We are sons of rebellion. Like Simba, Adam was the prince of all creation, but he rebelled by doing the one thing in all the kingdom prohibited by his heavenly father. And this act of rebellion severed Adam from paradise and right relationship with God. But God was already on the move. His plan to redeem his children was already underway. Many years later, when the nation of Israel was enslaved to the Egyptians, the Lord set them free. God says in Hosea chapter 11, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt, I called my son. 
the Lord was choosing a son to redeem, to adopt. And he acted through a man named Moses who was himself adopted. Again, many years later, God sent his only begotten son, born of an Israelite virgin, adopted by an Israelite man. His name was Jesus, and he would save his people from their sins. He would succeed where Adam had failed, and by his faithfulness, even unto death, the doors to God's household were flung open, and adoption was offered to the nations. Because of Jesus, the church is comprised of adopted sons and daughters of God. That's you. And now everything the light touches is our kingdom. We have a rich inheritance in Christ. But we were orphans. We were fatherless. We were helpless and exposed and alone. We needed rescue. We needed family. And the triune God responded to our need by sacrificially adopting us by adopting us at great cost to himself. As Galatians 4 says, God sent forth his son so that we might receive adoption as sons. Last year, my wife and I had the privilege of fostering and adopting this guy. This is Judah. His interests include cars, trains, airplanes, and bread. Um, We had the privilege of fostering and adopting Judah. Um, And and looking back, as we were jumping through all the hoops to get certified for foster care, this boy was already known to God. He was still in the womb, but he was already suffering. And from the day he was placed in our home, we got to suffer with him. It was a long, difficult, and emotional process. In some ways, it's not over. But God was faithful to us, and and many of you were faithful to us throughout that entire process. Now, there was a legal element to the process, but adoption is more than just a legal declaration. More fundamentally, we were giving our love and our lives to him. We were giving him a new name, a new family, a new community, a new future, a new inheritance. Everything that we have is now his. Granted, he has to share that with his siblings because what we have is finite. But what God has is infinite. And so our inheritance in Christ is something that we share, but it's not something we have to split. We all get all of it. We all get the new name and the new family and the new community, the new future, the new inheritance. It's all ours. The passage I'd like for us to dwell on today is out of the book of Job. Katie read that for us. Job's story is infamous, um, but he faced a series of horrific disasters that robbed him of his family, his health, and his property. And the book is about Job trying to understand why bad things happen to good people. But Job was more than just a good person. Job was a righteous person. In chapter 29, he says, 
When the ear heard, it called me blessed. And when the eye saw, it approved. Because I delivered the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to help him. The blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy, and I searched out the cause of him whom I did not know. One theologian writes, Job's life provides us with a full-orbed picture of what generosity that spills over into all of life looks like. His compassion was not limited to check writing. His hospitality was not about social maneuvering. Instead, Job used his resources, time, and energy to pursue the interests of those who were least able to help themselves or repay him for his kindness. It reminds me of Isaiah 61, which Jesus claimed was all about him. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to, pro- to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And it goes on. But here is what we learn from Jesus and from Job. Anointed people. People who put on righteousness and justice. God's people. Move toward the broken, not away from the broken. God's people move toward the broken, not away from the broken. As my wife and I have discussed foster care with with others, we've often heard people say, I'm just not sure I could handle the uncertainty of loving a child that might leave. Now, I don't don't think everyone is called to foster care, and we'll, we'll discuss that more in a bit. But the question is not, what do we stand to lose? The question is, what does a child stand to gain? We shouldn't foster and adopt primarily because we want kids. We should foster and adopt primarily because kids need us. The uncertainty of foster care really is one of the most difficult things about it. These things are costly, and we should take care to count the cost. That is a biblical thing to do. But consider this, on, on a global scale, our lives are pretty stable, right? Right? Come on. So a little bit of uncertainty probably won't break us. In fact, it, it may do us good. There are children in our city who don't know the meaning of the word stability, They only know uncertainty, and we cannot let them carry that alone. We need to say to them, with Jesus, I'll step into your brokenness. I'll take on your brokenness. I'll be broken so that you don't have to be alone, and ultimately so that you you no longer have to be broken. So, what can be done? How can we help? First and foremost, we want orphan care to be an ordinary thing in our church, not an extraordinary thing. We're looking to cultivate an orphan care culture. 
Now, again, we don't think everybody should foster and adopt. In the words of Jason Johnson, we are not all called to do the same thing, but we are all capable of doing something. There are endless opportunities to engage this issue. In fact, you may already be engaging this issue. For instance, children in the child welfare system are more likely to be incarcerated, more likely to be trafficked, more likely to be homeless. And so serving these social issues is in some sense a downstream form of orphan care. But for our purposes today, I'll be discussing ways to get involved more directly with caring for vulnerable children. All right, this is where we get practical. Number one, you could foster or adopt a child. This looks like bringing a child into your home long term. But most people will never foster or adopt, and that that doesn't mean you don't care about orphans, and it doesn't mean that you can't still make a huge impact for the sake of an orphan. Whether you're single, newly married, or an empty nester, everyone has a role to play here. Number two, you could get certified for respite care. Respite care is short-term fostering. Respite care providers give our full-time foster parents an opportunity, a, a break, by caring for their foster child for a few days. And if you're considering long-term foster care, respite care is a great way to get your feet wet. Number three, you could mentor aged-out youth. Teens who age out of the foster care system are some of the most vulnerable people in our city. 40% of aged out teens end up homeless. 80% of the prison population is comprised of former foster children. 80%. 98% of domestic human trafficking survivors were at one point in the foster care system. These kids need guidance and wisdom and protection. Few of them have been given the life skills necessary to contribute as adults. This is one of the most overlooked needs in our city. Number four, you could minister to biological families. Most children in foster care have parents who were also in foster care. That's because it takes more than government intervention to break cycles of poverty and abuse and addiction. 70% of foster children will eventually return to their biological families. And so ministering to these struggling families is a great way to love everyone involved. Those of us who step into these ministry opportunities are going to need a strong support system. And so even if you're not the tip of the spear, so to speak. There are plenty of ways to offer your support. You could get certified to babysit. This one is huge. It is illegal to leave a foster child with a babysitter that is not CPR certified and background checked. Most foster families have a very short list of potential babysitters. Two, you could organize a meal train or provide groceries. If you've never been on a meal train, you need to break your leg or something. Um, Really. Meal trains are a huge blessing and a beautiful way for the body to organize in service to a family. Three, you could offer financial assistance. Adoption is very expensive. 
Foster care, not so much. But even then, there are, there are a number of hidden costs, especially as a foster family is getting their house up to code. So not having to worry about money is a wonderful blessing in a season of uncertainty. Number four, you could offer to help around the house. In the, in the first few weeks after we got Judah in our home, um, we, everything came to a screeching halt. We were not concerned with the day-to-day tasks And so anything you can do to help is helpful. Number five, you can donate furniture or clothing or supplies, whether gift cards, diapers, cribs, strollers, car seats, or formula. Yes, I said formula. (laughs) Many foster families don't know how to prepare for their foster children until they actually arrive. They don't know whether to have a bed or a crib newborn clothes, or 4T clothes. Number six, you could offer friendship and emotional support. Foster care and adoption put you on a crash course with heavy things, the dark underbelly of our society. It's easy to start feeling alone, and so good friends and dependable community are invaluable. Number seven, you could attend court appointments with foster parents. Court appointments and visitations make for difficult days, especially when you have a front row seat to see how the legal process is actually negatively impacting a child. Bearing this burden alongside the foster parents is a great comfort to them. Lastly, you could and you should pray. Serving vulnerable children is spiritual warfare. When we stand in the gap for children, we open ourselves up to spiritual attack in all its forms. And as we talked about last Monday at our prayer gathering, prayer is the church taking the offensive. It's both defense and offense. We need prayer. So, I've made a conscious decision not to bombard you with a bunch of statistics about the crisis specific to Houston, um, but it is a crisis. The, the system is broken and unsustainable, and the need is greater than the government can handle. We want roads with no potholes, right? We want more efficient highways. We don't want our city to ever flood again. We want the police and fire departments to keep us safe. We want better schools. And we want CPS to do its job. But we don't want to pay more in taxes. And so I'm not here to bash on the city of Houston or Harris County CPS. They have been dealt a losing hand. But as the church, we we know we can't lose. Our inheritance is as adopted children, is secure, and it's going to be good. There's plenty to go around. When the Bible calls the people of God to correct oppression and bring justice to the fatherless, it's not talking about writing a letter to your congressman. It's calling us to get our hands dirty, like Job. It's calling us to be eyes to the blind, to be feet to the lame to be fathers to the needy, not just to fund it. 
our local government is no good at restoring families. But that's like saying my Honda Odyssey is no good at space travel. That's not its purpose. It wasn't built for that. There is no institution on this planet better structured, better equipped, better resourced for holistic restoration than the church. Not only that, we've been given a clear mandate to lead the way in caring for the, for the vulnerable. And so, so we don't need to criticize the government. We, we need to repent. We need to be praying for the CPS caseworkers in our city. They're doing the Lord's work in the government's name. And in some ways, they're, they're doing our job on our behalf. Let me close by saying this. We live in a society that believes children are an inconvenience. And that's true. (laughs) Children are an inconvenience. The real problem is thinking that an inconvenient thing must be a bad thing. That's not true. It certainly wasn't convenient for Jesus to sacrifice the comfort and stability of heaven in order to enter our brokenness and offer us adoption. It wasn't convenient. And so there's no better way to challenge our culture of convenience than by adding needy children to our lives. Foster care and adoption are voluntary suffering. And that's what Christians are called to. My hope and prayer for Sojourn is this, that that we would have a culture of self-giving love that steps faithfully into the brokenness of this world to bring hope and light and redemption. And part of that is going to look like caring for orphans. Here at Sojourn, we talk a lot about uh, church's family. We are the household of God. He is our father. We are brothers and sisters. I love that emphasis but we need to remember we are only family because God did not leave us as orphans. The church is a family because we have been adopted. As the Lord has adopted us, so should we adopt. And we have and we will continue. When covenant members at Sojourn adopt a child into their family, we all adopt a child into our family. What if the church in Houston had a reputation for fostering and adopting Houston's orphans? What if that was our reputation citywide? What if, instead of picketing the pride parade, instead of suing the mayor, instead of putting up another billboard, Christians were known best for standing downstream and caring for the vulnerable and helping to clean up the messes in our city that no one wants to acknowledge. In many ways, the American church has become more famous for its denunciations and condemnations than for its affirmations and sacrificial love. May our city know us for what we're for, not just what we're against. It's like Job. When the ear heard, it called him blessed. 
and when the eye saw, it approved, because he delivered the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to help him. As Katie said, this afternoon at 4 p.m., we're, we're hosting a foster care interest meeting. Uh, this meeting is for anyone interested in, in caring for foster children in any of the capacities I've discussed today. You're not locking yourself into anything by attending. We just want to know who you are and give you some more information. Um, so hope to see you there at 4 p.m. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for adoption. Thank you for our adoption. Thank you for calling us into your household, making us your sons and daughters. Please make us people who get our hands dirty for the vulnerable. God, I I pray for those kids in our city right now kids around the world, perhaps, who may one day join this community, be sitting in this room with us. Wherever they are, whatever trauma they're facing, please be with them and use us to reach them. Help us to receive them well. In Jesus' name, amen.